I don't know about you, but I am loving this series. Where we're talking just to ladies, we're flipping the mic. I'm throwing questions up to some pretty impressive leaders who happen to be females. And today we have Dr. Sasha Shilcut on the podcast. Now, check this out. She is a gender equity expert. She has been a TEDx speaker, a CEO of Brave Enough Community Online, uh, where over 20,000 women have connected to support one another in leadership. But oh yeah, she's a mom of four and a cardiac anesthesiologist. So you're not tired from that intro. And I don't know what kind of stuff you're leading. She is brilliant. And she has some incredible thoughts on the challenges of her own burnout story, on what may be next for you if you don't watch out, and also in some of the ways that we can think about the gender gap. If you've read at all about males and females, you'll hear about the gender gap, and she shares some numbers. She shares some things that still need to be righted in the gap that is still there. She talks with hope, but also with reality. In this series, we're gonna continue to hear uh, honestly and wisely but women with hope, women with a lot of leadership in them and a lot of drive in them, what they've overcome to get here. She's pretty incredible. So I love this conversation. But before that, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you to those who have supported us. We have supporters or patrons uh, on this platform we've talked about here called Storehouse who come alongside of this. If you are one of our patrons, the people who support us to continue to help people to get healthy and reach more impact. We just want to say thank you. And for as little as $10 a month, you can come alongside of us and help us to continue the cost uh, that we upkeep for this podcast, or you can help scholarship at risk leaders. We would ask you to go over to storehouse.world, check us out on the creators page, and we would love to have another supporter in you so we can continue to live out our mission to help leaders to get healthy and reach more impact. Guys, we have some incredible stuff coming your way in this episode. I want to remind you, if you go over on the Right Side Up community on Facebook, you can catch some of these interviews early. We do some Q&A over there. And each Wednesday morning, we're actually doing free group coaching over there. So go on over to the Right Side Up community on Facebook. It's a safe way to grow without all the things that are happening on Facebook, all the criticism, all the comments that are left there. We've created a safe space for you to actually have conversation and dialogue about living and leading right side up in this upside down world. Now on to my interview with Dr. Sasha Shilka. Well, Sasha, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored to be here. So before we get started, I mean, I gave you an intro to this, but just give us an intro. When somebody says, so what do you do? What do you tell them? You know, I tell most people that I am a physician who helps women create balance in their work and their professional and personal life. Wow. Awesome. I love that. You've obviously worked to kind of bring those two together. First of all, talk about the physician side of that. Um, what does that require of you each week? And then secondly, talk about kind of the rhythm and balance and why you started caring about that. So I was very traditional growing up 
determined to become the first doctor in my family. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I loved math and science. There were not a lot of girls going into it when I was younger. And I was really determined that I was going to be the first one in my family. And so I had a very traditional path of, you know, really going to undergrad and succeeding in the math and sciences, getting into medical school, choosing a residency, which was four years in anesthesiology, then doing cardiac anesthesiology. So specializing in surgeries of the heart and keeping people alive through open heart surgery and transplant. And along that time, I didn't really give a much thought to the fact that at the same time, my heart wanted to, you know, get married, have a family. I always saw myself as a mother, but when you're, when, you know, when your career trajectory is about 12 to 15 years to, of training, you don't think about those things. You don't even have time to think about or plan a family. And so I met my husband um, after graduating from college, uh, we got married and I just set on this path that I was determined to have a career in medicine. And I did it and I did it very successfully. Um, at the same time, um, when I first started practicing, I had my first child, my first week of residency, which if you've ever watched oh. any medical shows, you know how challenging that is. And then I had my second child, Asher, my third year of residency. I had my daughter, my third child um, in fellowship. And then I thought I was done and I thought, okay, now I'm going to have this career. I'm going to focus on my, on my career and trying to raise a family. I'm going to do it all and be it all. And, you know, women can do everything that men can do. And this was my mantra. And what happened was a couple things. The first was I found myself uh, pregnant with our fourth child, who was a surprise. And at the same time, I was sitting for my board exams, starting a career. And I, it kind of, I lost myself in, in that process. Like I lost my footing and I really thought, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, I don't, I, I, I want to be the best doctor there is. I, I also want to be the best mom. How am I going to have four kids and do this? And so I did what I think a lot of us do. We just think we have to work harder, right? We have to put in more hours. And what that led was to me about seven years ago now in 2013, wanting to quit medicine. I was, I had four kids under the age of seven. I had, um, a super successful career. I was, you know, I had an NIH grant. I was standing on stages multiple times a year, giving talks to, you know, thousands of doctors, but I was completely a mess inside and I was burned out. I felt like I was a failing as a mom. I was failing at my job. I had no real friendships or relationships outside of my husband who was also burning out. And I hit a wall and I, I just realized like I have lost all sense of who I am. Um, you know, I have a strong faith, but I really drifted through those years in my faith because I didn't feel like I even had time. I mean, I didn't even have time most days to take a shower, let alone, you know, read scripture or spend any time in the word. And so I, I was just a mess. And yet I didn't know how to to get out of a career that I spent, you know, not just hundreds of hours, but, you know, lots of money training to become. And how was I, what else was I going to be? So I went through a year from 2013 to 2014 of deep self-work where I was really at rock bottom. I started getting up 15 minutes a day before everybody else, which was about 4.45 in the morning. And I dedicated 15 minutes of time to myself, which then became 30 minutes of time to myself, which really 
didn't solve my problems in a day, but it brought me clarity to how overcommitted and overwhelmed and um, just sucked into this life that I thought I had to live. And I, I read about, you know, 30 self-help books and I got back into scripture. <laughs> I started becoming more like myself. I started exercising. I started spending time on my own health and well-being. started connecting with my kids um, on a deeper level, my husband on a deeper level. But at the end of that year, interestingly, I felt a lot better because I would, I set boundaries, hardcore boundaries at work. Um, but I was lonely. I mean, I was totally and completely lonely and isolated because I had no friendships and I had no female mentors or women leaders that I looked up to that I thought I could be that. I was just super lonely. So I started a very small text group uh, where I basically sent out a bat signal and said, hey, do you want to be my friend? <laughs> to about nine nine women's, women that I knew, physicians. And um, we started a just a small group, which I led on Facebook and that became exploded to about 13,000 women. And then I transitioned that into my Brave Enough community now, where I teach and lead women uh, through work-life balance courses, confidence courses, retreats, um, authored a book, uh, and uh, many different things that I do now um, to help women that were in that place that I was. Wow. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. And secondly, it's exciting to see that other people are drawn to that community, continues to grow, your influence continues to grow. But it feels like many of us, me included, have to hit the bottom of burnout. I don't believe that's everybody's story. Shed just a little bit more light on that. What were a couple more things? What did it feel like hitting the bottom? There are people listening who who are burning out or burned out and don't know what that is. Any other markers that you would say of burnout for you? Great question. Uh, yes. So we know burnout is a spectrum and we're on the path. All of us are there. Every single one of us walks this path. Okay. One, and, and I want, I said there's stops along the way and it depends on which direction you're going. So you might be in a very stressed out period of your life. Sometimes stress is good, right? But that trajectory may be, you may be walking the path towards burnout versus, oh, I was burned out. Now I'm just walking back towards like being kind of stressed, being where I hope to keep walking, where I'm now thriving. And I don't think that, I think it's kind of silly for us to say like, you're never going to burn out. If you burn out, something's wrong with you. If you're a human, especially just living through what we're, we've been living through, and you are trying to balance either a family, raising a family, a career, taking care of perhaps like elderly parents, you're probably going to find yourself in some way feeling burned out. And I think it's important to understand that it's an emotional and physical diagnosis that is very well described. There's typically three symptoms. One is cynicism. So you feel hopeless. Uh, you don't see a way out. Uh, the second is you have emotional exhaustion where you physically can't emote in, to the people that are closest to you in the same way you would like to or that they need you to. And it's not that you don't care about them, but oftentimes you can come across as just being flat or just being lazy even because you, you are protecting your emotion and your exhaustion by just um, pulling back and withdrawing. And then the, the third is you become disengaged and inefficient. 
So not only are you like hopeless or feeling cynical and feeling like, why, why should I even show up for work fully as myself? Or why should I even try to talk to my family at dinner tonight and engage them? You also are very inefficient in the work that you're doing, whether that's at home or in your workspace. And I think it's important because there are gender differences. Women tend to get emotionally exhausted first. And many times that's because we are like seen as kind of, it's expected of us to be that emotional sponge in whatever space that we are serving, where men tend to get more cynical first. So they tend to see like things are helpless that they, you know, maybe that's your coworker or your friend that used to be positive. And now they're like, well, why should we even do that? Well, that's not going to work. Um, and so there are gender differences in symptoms for me. I, I really like, I remember driving home every night from the hospital after working a, you know, 12 hour day and like being so tired emotionally that I would just cry in my car. When I would pull in my garage, I would think, I don't know how I'm going to get out and go be mom. And then the same thing would happen in the morning. I would drive to the hospital and I would sit in the doctor's lot and I would cry for a minute going, I don't know how I'm going to go in there and face people today. I was so empty and tired um, that, and I didn't see a way out. Like I didn't know how to make my life better because when you are burned out, you are so overcommitted typically, and that you can't even give yourself 15 minutes to think about what you could move off your plate or what you could pull back from or how to set a boundary. So those were my symptoms. Mm, That's really helpful. And especially, I think the cynicism piece, uh, I would say I lose hope a little bit at the end of each week, like Sabbath's coming. I get so excited and go, man, I, I need this. And I actually don't realize um, how tiredness creates some of that cynicism in me. So absolutely. That's become one of my markers to say, oh man, you know, danger zone for me. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I hear this phrase a lot. You probably to do too. It's lonely at the top. What would you say to a leader that tells you this? I think that's very accurate, actually. I mean, that's typically where I found myself in, you know, I think if you were to look at me on paper in 2013, you would have been impressed. You would have probably been like, wow, how can she, how has she achieved all of this? Um, But, you know, inside I was a mess, but the isolation piece came because I didn't ever want anyone to see that. I put up walls and when you are a leader, you are often very focused and that focus it serves you well when it comes to work efficiency, but it can isolate you quickly from other people. You know, I didn't have time to, to go to the coffee shop. I didn't have time to, you know, I, I always had my door shut because I didn't want to talk to other people because I have so much work and overwhelm to do. So especially as a woman who's working, I think in a male dominated field, the last thing I wanted any of my coworkers to think was that I wasn't handling work and and um, and home and that balance well because I didn't want to fulfill a stereotype. I think that oftentimes we have as women in the workplace when we're a leader that we're unable to balance both. So the last thing I wanted to do was share with some of my male colleagues, you know, I'm struggling. Even though looking back, I'm sure many of them were struggling too, and they probably would have offered me an olive branch, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable sharing that. So I think it's really easy to put up walls, especially as you ascend into any type of leadership position. Mm, Yeah, super helpful. So you're a gender equity expert. 
Um, first of all, talk about that idea of, of equity. Um, I'm hearing that more equity versus equality. And talk to male listeners a little bit about what that what that gap is, that gender gap that um, we need to be hearing more about. Well, I can tell you, I didn't set out to be a gender equity researcher. <laughs> that was not my plan. Um, I actually, when I started getting into this work about five years ago, I pivoted my clinical research and started just doing some data collection in the organizations I was serving and in my workspace. And the reason I did is because I started climbing the ladder. And when I was at the kind of the bottom rung, so to speak, in rank, there were a lot of women. And I don't think I would have even recognized inequity. But when I started to ascend the ladder, the very you know transparent truth is I became a threat to power. And I started experiencing more bias, more discrimination. And I thought in my brain, it would be the opposite. Like I thought, okay, when I become, when I achieve, you know, associate professor, or when I achieve an NIH grant, or when I achieve this status or this many publications, I will be more respected and I won't face discrimination. But when you are a woman who suddenly um, puts her name in the ring, you know, or hat throws her hat in the ring, you are a threat to power. And so you you start to experience discrimination and bias more than you do when you are at a lower level. So at least for me. And so I started thinking like, you know, first of all, I would walk into rooms and I would be the only woman or I'd go to a table or I would be elected to a committee or nominated to serve in some board. And I would, I started really struggling with my self-identity because I was like, gosh, I'm the only woman here. And, and, this feels awkward. Like, should I speak up now? Should I, I don't want to come across like I am a know-it-all, even if I had an idea or I knew the answer, I was actually the expert on a topic. I would struggle to know when to speak. So then, you know, I think one thing that happened to me was I got passed over for a job that I was, (laughs) blew everybody else out of the water. And I think, you know, the comments back to me was, well, you have young kids. We don't want to burden you with this. And I was like, man, I didn't even get a shot, you know, and it was so discouraging to me. And so I started doing gender equity research um, in, like I said, just in my workspaces and in some organizations that I served in. And it was so revealing because there were definitely um, men who were super supportive, you know, in healthcare, we're a little different. We're 79% women in the workforce, but only 6% top leaders. So there's a mismatch. And some of the men, male leaders, so 93% of the leaders are men. Some of them were like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is great. Keep showing us what we're, we need to improve on. And, and some of them well-meaning were like, you need to stop pushing this because this, you're going to get labeled as like the woman at every meeting that brings up, why aren't there other women here? And you don't want this to hurt your career. Um, so I, I I haven't always done it right. I I haven't, I still struggle at times to know uh, when to push and when to recruit and when to just say, okay, I'm giving up and let's just burn the whole structure down (laughs) because there there are definite gaps and we're behind, but then, you know, I, I put down my sword for a little while. And I think like anything you, when you're a change agent, sometimes you got to put down the sword and rest in the battle and then let somebody else fight the battle for a little bit. And then I'll figure out a different way to pick it up and and fight again. 
Mm. Wow. Well, thanks. Thanks for your work. And thanks for um, both like your own experiences uh, that you get to share, but then also research and both are, you know, quantitative and qualitative. We need to be hearing about that's what we're all about in this episode. Um, but also just in this series and in general at Stay Forth is if there's an area that's unhealthy in life and leadership, we need to be talking about. So we, if you're listening, um, we just want to start these conversations so they're less awkward for you to start and continue this. Share this with a friend. I think this uh, is so helpful for us to learn from, and I'm learning a lot already uh, from you, Sasha. Talk a little bit about toxicity in the workplace. This is something that you help people do, identify toxic workplace relationships. How do we know if relationships have gone toxic in our workspace? Well, this is a good question. Um, It's so interesting to me how when you are in a toxic environment, it's really easy to, number one, become like the people you're around. And you also kind of just get used to it. So um, I think how do you know if you're in a toxic environment? You know, you... Not none of us have 10 out of 10 work days every day. None of us walk into our organization and go like, oh my gosh, every day I love being here. I love every single person I come into contact with. I mean, that it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of data to suggest that like even if we do 20% of the day time, so basically one day a week doing what we absolutely love, we will stay an engaged, positive employee in the 80%. It's mm-hmm. it's but there are also, there's also data to show that like, if you're in a toxic environment, you could be the most positive place person on the planet or most engaged, but uh, you, you won't thrive there. There's just no oxygen for you. So I help a lot of women specifically, cause I coach women identify that they're in a toxic environment. And it's like, they're, they always want to do the same thing. Like they're, they never come in going, how can I fix my environment? They always come in going, how can I fix me so that I can stay in this toxic environment. And I'm like, yeah. uh, you can't, you have to leave the environment. And then they, they leave eventually. And then they're like, they all say the same thing. They're like, why didn't I do it this sooner? So I think number one, if you're not valued, if you're, if your voice isn't heard, if you don't feel comfortable sharing, or you don't feel comfortable sharing your ideas, um, if you're constantly second guessing yourself and your work, you know, you may just be in the wrong role. Um, and, or if you're around people who don't share, if your vision doesn't align with the company's mission and vision, you, you, you might not be in a toxic environment, but it will become toxic to you because you're going to constantly be fighting against what the company or the organization is trying to achieve. So I think when you're coming home and you don't feel like, okay, that was a hard day, but I, I had value, I added value and I was valued you might be in a toxic environment. You know, we shouldn't go to work every day and feel worse when we come home. Like we shouldn't feel beat up. We might feel tired because we had a, a day where we gave a lot, but we shouldn't feel worse about ourselves at the end of every single work day. Yeah. Uh, challenges. Challenges of being a female leader. Guys, now it's time to listen in, lean in right here. What would you say in general are many of the challenges that female leaders will face? You know, I talk about this in my book, Between Grit and Grace. Um, I wrote it for the female leader. So, and the reason I chose these two words, grit and grace, and the word between is because 
That is the conundrum of being a female leader. And when I pitched the book, all these publishers were like, we want you to write, pick one or the other. Like you can be a gritty leader or grace giving leader, but you can't be both. And I'm like, yeah, that's the problem. We are (laughs) as women. So being a female leader is often like your biggest challenge is embracing that you will never be like your the male leaders that you may look up to, that you may idolize. You may have attributes of them, but you will never lead like them. And that's okay. We need, need women leaders who are able to embrace both their gritty side and change everyone's view, the system's view of what a woman leader looks like. And then off also embrace grace because, you know, there are times where I walk into the hospital and I have, um, very difficult, let's say surgery. And I have to be really blunt and lead a crisis situation. I'm not asking people nicely. Like you, if you came in the room, you'd be like, Whoa, she's like, she, she means business. But you know what? If I was your doctor, you probably want me to mean business if I'm saving your life. And I would see my male colleagues do that. And like, everyone's in awe of them. And I would walk in and use the same tone. And everyone's like, she's really harsh today. She's a little, maybe she just needs a vacation, you know? And I used to go around and kind of like do what, like I call bossy management and like apologize. And I just stopped doing that because I don't want the next woman that I'm training to go, oh, I have to go around and apologize like Dr. Shilkut just did. But at the same time, I might, you might find me in the pre-op bay crying with the patient's family because I have empathy when I tell him, I don't know if I'm bringing your dad back. I don't know. So it's okay to be both of those things as a woman. We, we, so my biggest challenge is showing up authentically as me. And when I want to speak up at a meeting, not thinking was that, what are all the men going to think when I say, no, we, we can't do that. Or I don't think we should do that. Um, but also what are the men going to say, or what's everybody going to say when I get emotional about something that I'm really passionate about, because that's how I lead as a woman. So I think showing up authentically is probably our biggest challenge as women and just accepting that we're going to be judged or face backlash for that. And, and it's okay. And not doing it or not being our authentic self because of the backlash, but embracing the backlash. And what are some of the joys and even advantages of being a female leader? Well, personally, I love being a female leader. I mean, I feel like I can connect um, and it's acceptable for me to connect on a deeper level with people. I get to, I really honestly feel like I get to mentor both men and women in a different way than maybe some of my male leaders can, um, or that's acceptable in society. And so I, you know, I, I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of other people's well-being, And I think that's an attribute. And when we know that, I mean, there's lots of human resource studies to show that, you know, women led teams tend to be a little more emotionally connected and uh, healthier. So that's definitely an advantage. And, you know, I think that we just need to embrace whatever attributes that we have specifically in our leadership and find joy in that. And for me, it's, it just tends to be helping other women find their own authentic self and shine in their own way in their workspaces. That's good. What, what do you think has changed over the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years uh, in terms of being a female leader, uh, i.e., what if you were trying to step into these spaces 10, 15, 20 years ago? What would be different? Well, 
to be honest with you, you know, if you look at the data, the gaps have not changed much. So pay gaps are still really the same. Uh, definitely in medicine, promotion is still the same, which, you know, I, I wish I could say, oh, it's so much better, but it, it's not as far as hard data. Um, but I will say that I think in the last five years, I have seen more women come together and um, reach across, you know, and show like, hey, I'm going to help you get ahead in this and you're going to help me get through this challenge. I see more of a community of women, definitely, than I had even 10 years ago. I, I did not have the community I have now. And I think there's multiple communities. And I also see there's not a lot of, of male leaders willing to change the status quo, but they are there and they're coming and they're popping up here and there. And I, I do see a lot more collaboration. You know, there's kind of this falsehood that women need to fix the women problem. Like, okay, we don't have any women leaders. We need the women to fix that. But the truth is that statistically, we need the men to fix it, <laughs> help us. I mean, they need to fix it. Whoever's leading the company needs to fix it. So I am seeing more awareness of that. Like, I think gender equity is on at least somewhere on their mind that they're going, okay, wait a minute. We just elected four vice presidents and they were all men. The questions are at least being asked, like, why, why didn't we have a slate of women or why why weren't we doing that? So I think that's definitely more of a conversation we're having these days. Speak directly to a, a female who's listening to this and has a dream in her heart, probably has limiting beliefs like we all do, maybe fear of failure like we all do, pressures like we all do, but specifically, why don't you just speak, inspire, challenge, encourage, call out that woman with a dream in her heart who this is believing right now that it's not possible. Mm. Great, great question. You know, I would say, why not you? And, you know, I think I try to live every day with that in my mind. Why not me? Um, most of the time, I'm the person holding myself back. And for many women, that's true. We have an idea. We have a passion, we have something and we convince ourselves that we're just going to stick with what we know and we're not going to put ourselves out there. Maybe we have imposter syndrome. Maybe we have, um, don't have the resources or we think we have to have everything perfect, um, before we try. But I would say, why not you, you know, we get one life on this earth and I don't want to waste it doing things that I don't love or not trying and failing at things that I've always wanted to try. So I would just say, first of all, there is another woman out there who has overcome and succeeded at the challenge you're facing. And you may be the example for a woman coming behind you that's always wanted to do the thing that is in your heart that you are going to try to do, even if you fail. Even if you fail, you will learn so much more in your failure than you will in any success. So do it not just for yourself, but do it for the woman coming behind you because you may be the example for her and you may light that fire in her. And I think women, you know, are have such a resilient capacity to, to create and innovate. And that's why I do this work because I want them to be at the table. I want them to be sharing their ideas. I believe that we're better when we, we share different ideas. So I would say, 
don't just ask yourself, why not me? That's good. Zoom out. Last question here. Zoom out and fast forward to the future. What are some of the dreams that you have um, for your daughter? I have two daughters. And so I've been thinking about this question. What are some of the dreams that you have for your own daughter? Well, I love this. I have three boys and one girl. And when I feel like giving up, because this work is really hard, I always think I'm doing this so that my brilliant, kind, creative daughter can walk into a room someday and earn and get paid and be respected and feel safe at her workspace, the same as my brilliant, creative, amazing boys will. And I want my daughter to know that, you know, she doesn't have to show up at her work being anything other than what she is and that she should be able to have the same capacity to dream and earn and, and lead just as much as I want that from my boys. Love it. Well, Dr. Sasha Shilkut, thanks so much for your thoughts here. Um, pick up her book, Between Grit and Grace, and share just a little bit where can people find you online and how can ladies be part of the Brave Enough community? Yeah, so you can join at um, my website. It's called becomebraveenough.com. I have a ton of free resources that you can download there. I'm on Instagram at becomebraveenough and also on Facebook at Become Brave Enough. And I'd love for you to share, stop in, drop me a DM, whatever's on your heart. And uh, I love to encourage women. So I'm looking forward to meeting some of the people listening. Awesome. Well, best of luck. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. So long.